but this morning we're in our series called Evidence, and if you missed the previous two, uh, you can find them online, you go on YouTube or on our podcast and check those out. I think they're on Spotify as well, and you can maybe catch up, but I'm going to give us a little bit of a reminder as to where we are since we had last week uh, focused on missions, but it's based off of a familiar verse in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one that says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For the true follower of Jesus Christ, if you are here this morning and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I am saved today, then if you are a true follower, there is no greater substance. Now that word there means confidence and structure. There is no greater confidence for living the Christian life than your personal faith in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, while our faith is the substance, it is our confidence, at the same time, our faith, as we learn from this verse, is also the evidence, which means it is the proof, it is a proof of the unseen realm that guides our faith and service to the Lord. And so if we were to summarize what our series is all about, what it means is that our faith is, uh, can reveal, or our faith is revealed when it is revealed, I'm sorry, when our faith is revealed in our decisions and in our actions, uh, in our pursuits, it can become an evidence to a lost and dying world about the fact that God does exist and he is all powerful and he is all loving and he loves them. To put it really simply, uh, we must remember that we, God uses us, his people, as the vehicle of truth for this world, for the city. You think about Vancouver and the city that we live in, and it's just so full of so many good things, but also so many bad things. And to think that God has called us to make a difference in our city and in our community, and he wants to make that difference as we live out our faith and become the evidence to this world that God, in fact, does Exist And it's an undeniable truth. It's an undeniable truth, and, and I would challenge you to prove to me from Scripture otherwise that we as Christians are to be the salt and light in this world through our actions. That's why we are referred to as salt and light, not because we are special, because you and I are some you know, special individuals in some way, but because the truth that God has given to us can be proclaimed and can make a difference in our world. You know, the Apostle Paul, following his message on justification by faith in Jesus Christ in Galatians, like I mentioned, he said this about a life moving forward with Christ. I had you turn to Galatians chapter 2. Let's look at verse number 20. It's a familiar verse, but Paul said this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, crucifixion was a symbol of death, wasn't it? He says, oh, I am crucified. I am dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So he says here that I'm crucified, I'm dead, but in fact, I live. Now, that may seem confusing to you if you've not been in church at all, but as believers, we fully understand that. We are dead in our sins, and we are dead to sin because of Christ, but we are actually alive. But notice what he says here. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, here's the key. And the life which I now live in the flesh. So the life that we are living right now, he says, I live by the, what's that word? Say it. Faith. He says, the life that I'm now living, I'm actually living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Understand, church, that because of Christ in us through salvation, we do not have to live this life in the flesh, but we can live this life by faith. 
by faith in the one who loves us, by faith in the one who gave himself for us. And when we do that, when we live by faith, there is a change that happens in our life. There is a change that happens in our hearts, but also a change in our focus. You know, in, throughout life, there's many different seasons that we go through. And every time we go through a different season in life, there's a change in focus, isn't there? You know, if you remember back to when, you know, summer vacation was over and school started, all of a sudden, there was a change in your focus, wasn't it? And you were laser beam focused now. Well, maybe some of you, I wasn't. Some of you were laser beam focused on your studies. As you become an adult and you maybe re-enroll in classes and you try to grow a little bit in that way, you become focused. When you get a new job, there's a, a total transformation of focus as you adjust into that environment. When you get a new hobby, uh, there's a whole change in focus in the things that you're involving yourself in. When you have a child, there's a whole change of focus. I'm seeing some babies there in the back row today. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There's a change in your focus where you once had a focus as a couple and as a family, and then a child comes in, and then things change a little bit. There's a little bit of an adjustment in our focus. Now listen, same thing for the Christian life. When we become a believer, there should be a tangible, visible evidence, a visible change, and and it should be played out externally so that it is an evidence to what has happened internally. Now that involves, and that happens right when you come to Christ and you get saved, but I'll tell you this, it also happens when you come back to Christ. When you come back to Christ. For many of of you, and myself included, there have been seasons of life where I've been away from the Lord. Where if you were to ask me, hey, are you walking with God right now? I could not answer yes. I'd have to say, no, I'm not walking with the Lord. So what happens when I get my heart right? There's a change. There's a focus change. There's an adjustment. And that then becomes evidence to the world around us. So the question that we've been asking in this series is very simply this. What is the evidence of your faith? What is the evidence of your faith? If I were to go to your family or to your friends or your coworkers and say, hey, I, I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this person at your work, they're a Christian. Can you give me some evidence of the fact that they're a believer? What would they say? How would they respond then in that moment? Now, so far, what we've talked about in our series is that evidence of our faith is revealed in our priorities and the fact that we make faith a priority. And that was our first week. The last time we were together, we talked about how an evidence of our faith is that we have a desire to grow and that we as individuals really do want to grow in our faith. Well, today, I'd like for us to go ahead and turn now to Galatians chapter 5. So if you're in Galatians chapter 2, you're really close. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter number 5. And I want for us to see another evidence of our faith in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read several verses here. And so to begin, I want to give us some context as we find out what this new evidence is going to be. Look with me at verse number 1 of Galatians 5. He says this. He says, stand fast, therefore. This is Paul, and he's writing to uh, the church there in Galatia. He says, stand fast, therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you got to see what it is. Therefore, you got it, okay. I think we just talked about this recently, good. Let's, let's stay on that. If you see therefore, see what it's there for. Now, this is in reference to what he spoke about in the previous chapter, which is the idea that you are not a child of bondage any longer. Okay, that's a great truth. So he says, because of that then, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, Paul is talking about a very important point here to those believers in that Roman province of Galatia. And what he is saying is that because of Christ, understand this, because of Christ, the uh, believer, the follower of, tri- of Christ can enjoy ultimate freedom. 
He's saying that you can stand fast in the liberty, in the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, he gives us the reason why we are able to stand and say that we are in freedom, and it is because of Christ. Notice he says, Christ hath made us free. So we can stand fast in liberty because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The freedom that we have came at a price, and it's because Jesus set us free. John chapter 8, uh, 32 and 36 tell us about that. If you want to just write that down, you can look those verses up. But Paul is reminding us here, he's saying, because of your freedom in Christ, you are free from several things. I'm just going to list them real quickly. Listen, if you have never understood this in your own heart, you need to understand this, okay? This is so important to the fulfilled Christian life. You are free in Christ. You have liberty in Christ, and you are free from, number one, you're free from God's judgment upon sin. Aren't you thankful for that? You are free from the judgment of sin. As well, you are free, in the context of this passage, you are free from legalistic formulas that man likes to make to attach to salvation. And again, if you read through the rest of the chapter, he talks a lot about the Jewish law that was attached to salvation. So you're free from those legalistic things. So if anyone tells you, listen, you must believe in Jesus, and you must also be baptized. You must also give money. You must also be a good person. You must also, no, 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 no. It's Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And so you're free from that legalistic, those legalistic formulas. You're free from the subjective experiences of fear and of guilt that so often overcome our lives. I don't know if you'd be honest with me today, but there's times where I feel so guilt-ridden or I feel so fearful that I sometimes in my past have said, I wonder if I'm truly saved. And I've allowed that fear and that guilt to overwhelm me. Listen, if you're saved and you're free in Christ, then you're free from that because God's already paid the penalty of your sin. God's already forgiven you. He has forgiven you for what it is that you're feeling guilty and you're struggling with. Man, that's a blessing. Can you tell I'm excited today? This is really important stuff. This is so great. You're free from those things. And so we have this liberty that comes from Christ, and and Paul takes the next few verses to explain and give specific examples of that freedom in Christ. But as we move further into the chapter, we're not going to cover the whole thing today, but as we move further into the chapter, here's what we understand, is that with our freedom, so there's freedom in Christ, praise God, but with that freedom, there is also a goal or a standard or a responsibility that comes with that freedom. Here's what I want you to see in verse number 13. So look over to Galatians 5, 13. He says, for brethren, that means he's talking to us, believers. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Praise God, we already talked about that. So you've been called to that, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So here's the parameters that God has given us for our liberty. He says, you have liberty and freedom in Christ. However, you should not use that liberty for your flesh. Freedom in Christ comes with this parameter, this restriction that says, do not use that for your own flesh. Now, you might be thinking today, I know some of you are thinking this right now. You're thinking, well, pastor, is it really freedom if there's a restriction to that freedom? Is it really freedom if there's a parameter to that freedom? The answer is yes, (laughs) It is still freedom. And I think I would argue with you today, if you wanted to argue about this, we could do it after church maybe, I would argue with you that I believe that true freedom with parameters is better than freedom with no restrictions. Freedom with parameters is much better than just, hey, just do whatever you want to do. And there's no restrictions at all whatsoever. Because our freedom in Christ comes with something called the Holy Spirit, someone called the Holy Spirit that indwells us and gives us guidance. And as well, we have the Holy Scriptures here that gives us guidance 
and parameters, but yet within those parameters, there is great freedom. Let me explain it to you this way. Uh, My wife and I, Jeanette and I, are right in the middle of um, extending more freedom to our 14-year-old son, Maximus. Where is he? I meant to ask your permission to share this. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Thanks. Thank you, Max. He smiled. That's okay. So we're right in the middle of extending freedom to him. Here's what I mean. Uh, Maximus is a very responsible young man, and I'm very proud of him, and I'm thankful for that. I can trust him. If you're a parent and you have kids, it's a good thing to be able to trust your kids, isn't it? And it's a terrible thing to not be able to trust your kids. Um, But Maximus is a responsible young man, and so he's experiencing a level of freedom right now. He turned 14 this summer. He's experiencing a level of freedom that he's never really experienced before. We allow him, and he goes out, and he gets on the bus by himself, and he takes the transit around. That's big time, right? Yeah. And he takes transit, and he goes, and he sees friends, or he goes and spends time with family, and he's able to go and, and to experience it. And yes, there's been many missed buses and wrong connections, but he's getting it figured out. He's uh, able now, we're able to trust him with some extended time alone, and we're able to extend that freedom to him. But I want to tell you this, with that freedom... There are parameters, aren't there? Those of you parents with teenagers are all nodding, like a lot of nodding happening right now. There are parameters with that freedom. I need to know where he's going. He needs to call me or text me when he gets to where he is going. He can't just walk out of the house whenever he wants. He can't just, you know, I can't hear the door beep and like, what's going on? Max just left. I don't know. Where'd he go? We don't know. He can't just walk out of the house. He can't come back whenever he wants. He can't just walk in at 3 a.m. and, you know, just, no, absolutely not. There are parameters. Now, the question is, so does Maximus really have freedom? Yes. He has much more freedom today than he did a year ago. That's for sure. He has much more freedom. However, with that freedom, there is, for his protection and for my sanity, there are some parameters And I will tell you this, that he, within those parameters, can enjoy that freedom to its fullest extent because when he doesn't follow the rules and he doesn't follow the parameters, he will lose that freedom that has now been extended to him. Okay, so here it is with our freedom with Christ. And so we need to understand. God has given us freedom and because of the protection and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there are parameters. So we're free from sin. We're free from guilt. We're free from the bondage of our sin of the past. And we are then free to enjoy life to its fullest. And to live a life in that way means that you operate within the parameters that God has given to us. And you truly then can begin to experience what real freedom is. Listen, to live a life outside of freedom in Christ is to live a life in bondage to sin. That's the alternative. We can be free in Christ or we can be in bondage to sin. And and in all honesty, if you just look at our society today, I think you would recognize that we live in this kind of uh, uh, (laughs) free-for-all, ethical free-for-all, if you want to call it that, in our society today. And the end result is that we live in a time like Judges, uh, in the book of Judges 17, where it says that every person did what was right in their own eyes. And I got to tell you, it doesn't seem to be working out all that well for our society, does it? For the last, you know, hundreds of years that they've tried to eliminate uh, uh, instruction and eliminate law and eliminate protections for people, we now live in a time where you can say you're anything and try to be anything at all, and it hasn't resulted in a better society. In fact, we see more clamping down on freedom, in fact, in some respects, all around the world. So the point I'm trying to get across is this. In Christ, we have freedom, but we do not use our freedom for our sinful flesh. 
We recognize that God has given us freedom in these parameters, and that's where we can experience life to the fullest. You know, if I go back to using Maximus as an example, i tell you what, in, that, in those parameters that my wife and I have, have set up for him, there's a lot of great things that he can experience and he can do. Some of you had parents who did not give you parameters. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of what you did when you had no restrictions and you had no one looking out for you. We know the danger of that side. So the point is, we are free in Christ, but there are some parameters around that. It's not to fulfill our sinful flesh. It's not to fulfill wrong desires. It's not to live to the standard of the world, but we enjoy and experience liberty within those parameters. So you might be saying, so pastor, what are those parameters then? What are those restrictions if you want to, if you want to say that, I call them guardrails. I think that guardrails are good, right? When you're driving, you ever driven up to Whistler? Man, I'm thankful there's guardrails on those turns. Uh, help keep you in the, in the lane if you, if you need to, if you're having trouble staying in the lane, it'll help keep you there. But what are the parameters? Well, let's look back at Galatians 5 again, and let's look down now into verse, the end of verse 13 and into 14. This is key. He says, for brethren... Ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, this is interesting. He says, you have freedom, but here's what I want from you. I want you by love to serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Here's the obligation to our liberty in Christ. The obligation for our liberty in Christ is that we would by love serve one another. We would love our neighbors. We would love those around us. You say, who's my neighbor? It's everyone, (laughs) not just your physical neighbor. But he says that you would love people as much as you love yourself. See, the evidence that a person is a follower of Christ or free in Christ is that their faith and their freedom in him will lead them to serve other people. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing that God has given to us. He says, you are free, and there's freedom from bondage. I've forgiven you of your sin. I've given you all this freedom. He says, here's how I want you to use that freedom. Serve one another by love. That's pretty incredible. That tells us a lot about our God, doesn't it? That he is always focused on others. He's always focused on how we care and serve and minister together. Now, the term serve here, I want to just, I want to work down this a little bit more here. But the word serve, of course, in our modern dictionary means to perform duties or services for an individual or an organization. And that's all well and good. And those are good things. I mean, that's, and that's really what he's talking about in a way. He's saying you're serving. But the word that Paul used is, has a little bit more punch to it. You understand what I mean? It's got a little bit more emphasis to it. And the word that he uses is the word duleo, which means to be a slave to a slave to, literal or figurative, involuntarily or voluntarily. So here's what we know about scripture. He is not saying, I demand, okay? He's not forcing us into this because we know the heart of scripture. The heart of scripture is that we would choose to love God, choose to serve one another, okay? So what is he saying then? Paul is saying to us that as a follower of Christ, within our freedom, his desire and the parameters that we would willfully place ourselves voluntarily in a position of service. That we would willfully choose to serve, to meet the needs of our local church, to meet the needs of other individuals, people that God has placed into our lives. Now, one of the interesting things that that I understand, and, and you come to understand if you study humanity, is that we as humans truly are wired to serve. Did you know that? We are wired. God created us in this way. And what it comes down to is either we live our life serving ourselves, 
and serving our own desires and serving the things that we want to accomplish, or we serve our God. I want to look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 20, and I think this is really powerful here as we are reminded of the outcome of the impact in our life will be determined by where we place our service. So stay with me on this. Look what he says here. He says, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Yeah, no kidding, right? When you serve sin, you're free from righteousness. I'm free from all good things. Think about that. You're seeing the connections here. So when you were the servant of sin, you were free from righteousness. Righteousness, yes. And then he says this. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When you served yourself, let's remember back. Do you remember when you lived your life for yourself? Maybe you're doing that right now. (laughs) Remember when you served yourself and yourself only. He says that you were free from righteousness. You were free from good works. You were free from doing things that had an everlasting impact. And then notice how he puts it there. He says, what was the outcome of that? Shame. You were ashamed. The outcome of a life that is lived for yourself will ultimately be shame. Now, in the moment, you may say, wow, this is really great. I'm just doing this for myself. I'm living for me. I'm making money for me. I'm building things for me. This is about me. And you can even try to cloak it in, you know, this is for my family, right? (laughs) This is for my future. This is for, and by the way, you have responsibilities as a Christian to do those things. But when it becomes the main focal point, When you and what you want to do and what you want to see happen becomes your main focus in life, the ultimate and the end result of that is going to be, you're going to be ashamed of that fruit. Be ashamed of that fruit. But then the alternate of that, he says, but when you become a servant of God and you live in that freedom in Christ, that posture of service, not just for yourself, but you're serving the Lord and serving others, the end result of that is fruit unto holiness. Fruit unto holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want fruit unto holiness. I want the outflow of my life, yes, to point others to Jesus Christ, but I want the outflow of my life to point others to the holiness and the perfection of my God. And that's not going to come by me just serving myself. That's not going to come by me just living my life for the things that I want. Either we live to serve ourselves or we live to serve our God. And so an outflow of that is a posture of serving, a posture of serving. So the question is, how do we develop this posture of service? How do we as Christians in love voluntarily place ourselves in a position where we're willing to serve other people? How do we get to that point where we can serve others well and that we're living and operating in following that verse that says that we are free, but we're using it to, by love, serve one another? How do we get to that point? Well, that's the question that I want to answer, and I want to share some thoughts with you, and I'm just going to be, all right, straight up, I'm not going to finish this message today. Sound good? So you can just remove that from your mind. The whole time I'm doing this intro, I'm like, this is taking way longer than I thought it would. All right, so we're going to split this up into two services. Sound good? So you have to come back next week for part number two. But let's do 
let's do the first one. Is that okay? We got, we got some time to do that. So let's do the first one. So I'm going to give you three thoughts really quickly, and maybe throughout the course of this week, I'll actually add some more to it probably. There's some things that were on the cutting room floor. We'll add those in maybe for next week. But how do we know or how do we get to that point? The, the things I want to bring up here I believe can reveal your heart. It can reveal whether or not your, your faith is developing a heart of service. So number one, first of all, you need to know who we are serving. Okay, this is above anything else. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? The first step to developing a heart for service is to recognize who it is you are truly serving. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, verse 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Notice here he says, Whatever you do, do it to the Lord, and also you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now these verses here speak to the attitude and the motivation behind our service, and the attitude and the motivation is that everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. Okay, we are serving him and we are serving him primarily. Notice the word there, it says do it heartily. That's a word that's normally used for eating, <laughs> you know? You ever say that? You know, your mom would be like, that's a hearty helping you got there, son. She used to say that to me a lot. You know, we had a lot of kids, so I had to make sure I got a big plate before, otherwise there might not be any leftovers. And you think of that idea of like a hearty meal and you want to, you know, I got some chili downstairs. It's a hearty chili and a hearty stew. You know, you understand what I mean? It's, it's, it, there's, there's substance to it. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's all that you need, basically. And he's saying that you need to to serve the Lord in that way, with some strength, with some uh, gusto. I don't know if that's the word, but it means that you're, you're all pointing towards Christ, and, and everything I have, I'm giving towards the Lord. And the reason that we do that is seen here in the verse, because our, our service is as to the Lord, and it is not unto men. And so we serve other people. We speak encouragement. We give generously. We help those who need help. We give to those in need. We make ourselves available. Uh, we partner with the local church. Why? Because we're doing it for the Lord and we're not doing it for men. You know, don't you always find it interesting how you always know when a celebrity is volunteering? Have you ever noticed that? Right? You know, and they might even be like, oh, saving puppies today, you know, and they got some puppy or something. Uh, you know, we, 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 pri- we got a private jet and we flew in 500 dogs from, you know, from some country. And, uh, or, or, hey, I'm serving, I'm doing something. Celebrities always tell you that they are volunteering. They always tell you that they're serving. Why? Because it's about themselves, right? It gets them followers. They get, and they'll do stuff and they'll have photo ops, you know. That always drives me crazy whenever you see that, you know, in politics. And it's like this photo op of them like serving and then, you know, that was just for that photo and then they walked away. They're not really helping. We all know that. There's all this hypocrisy that is out there today. But as Christians, that's not how we do it. We do not serve for other people to take notice of us. We do not give so that we can tell somebody else about it. We serve for Christ and for Christ alone. And the priority of a heart of service is recognizing that our service is for the Lord and not for other people. We are to serve, not wondering if someone else will notice. Have you ever done that before? Maybe you have that coworker who's really good at just dropping it in that they did some extra work, you know? <laughs> they did somebody else's job, and they just happen to drop, bring it up in the team meeting, you know, in this like roundabout way, and you're like, oh, okay, they just want the credit for that. No, 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 that's not how we live. That's not how we serve. He says it is to the Lord and to him alone. We're not trying to be noticed. We're serving without expectation because it is for Jesus and out of our heart of love for Christ and not for our personal recognition. Jesus, when he instructed his disciples, said it this way. I'm going to look at several verses here. In Matthew 6, verse 2, 
And then I'm looking at verse 5 and then verse 16. I'm going to kind of break up the story here. He gives three different instances. He says, first of all, when you give of your alms, that means when they are giving of their tithes and their offerings, they're giving to the temple. What he says to them, he says, when you give, I'll just paraphrase these. He says, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do. So obviously there were people who would literally sound trumpets before they would give their offering. Can you imagine? It's time for the offering. Right? And here I go and bag of money. And there's some interesting stories about how the labor and how the money was, uh, it was this big bronze uh, bowl and people would take their cash money, right? You know, and it was, it was hard money and they would kind of swirl it in there so it would make a lot of noise. You know, and everybody knew. And then the widow who came with her mic, plink, right? You know, it just went in. But people would do that. They try to bring attention to themselves. Notice what Jesus says. He says, when you go and you uh, sound the trumpet uh, like the hypocrites, he says, why? So they have glory of men. He says, he says this, they have their reward. So the reward for pointing people to yourself when you're giving is that people see you. Notice in verse number five, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Notice that common word there. They love to stand praying in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so there were those who would go and stand on the corner of the street, Lord, right? We know the one story when they came to pray and there was the one and the one guy says, Lord, I thank thee that I am not as this man. You remember that? Oh, can you imagine, right? At the end of a service, we hear, you know, old Chris over here just crying out, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like Braden. you know? How terrible would that be? But that's what they would do. They'd stand on the corner and people were like, wow, they are so devout. Look at them just praying over there in the corner. You know what their reward was? People saw that they were standing there praying. Verse number 16 of Matthew 6. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Of a sad countenance and they disfigure their faces. What's wrong? I'm fasting. <laughs> so it appears to fast, you know. They kind of suck their stomach in and sort of stand there. Look at this. They have the reward. Jesus gives us these examples because he's trying to help us understand here that when we serve, when we give, when we involve ourselves, when we do these spiritual exercises that are genuine and real from Scripture, it's not about people seeing it. It's about him. Notice back in verse 3 and 4, Jesus says how it should be when you do his alms and you give. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your giving is in secret, he says. And here's what he says. The Father which seeth in secret will reward thee openly. Reward thee openly. In verse 6, in the connection to the praying, he says, when you pray, enter to your, go into your closet. And when you shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret. And your Father which seeth in secret will reward thee openly. Later on in verse 17, talking about fasting, he says, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. He says that so that you appear to not be fasting. So he says the opposite. When you're in a, a season of fasting and of spiritual crying out to God, he says you should wash your face and, and look like everything's okay. He says because God who sees, he knows. God knows what you're going through. He will reward you openly. Listen, God knows our hearts. And we should determine to serve and to live for others. He takes notice and he will reward you in ways that you never even imagined. Back again in Colossians, he says, Whatever you do, do it heartily, knowing that of the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve, who do we serve? The Lord. We serve the Lord. Our service is for the Lord. So we're going to end it right there this morning. Who it is that we are serving is the most important thing. When it comes to developing a heart of service, we must remember that we are serving Jesus Christ and him and him alone and nobody else. And that is an outflow 
of our freedom and our liberty in Christ. Now, that's amazing to think, that God says, I've given you this great liberty and this freedom. I've done all this for you. Now I want you to serve others. And I want you to do it from a right heart, which is a heart that is pointed towards Christ. So my questions for us this morning are really simple. Number one, are you living in freedom or are you living in bondage? Are you living in freedom or are you living in bondage? Some of you are still living in bondage to your sin. You are, you're, you, you like being a Christian. You really like that. But for whatever reason, you're choosing to live in bondage to your sin. You're choosing to live in bondage to your fear. You're choosing to live in bondage to these things that are not an outflow of a Christian that is pursuing Christ by faith. And I would encourage you with this today. If you're in that position, it's very, very simple. Cry out to God, confess it to him, say, God, forgive me and make that decision. I'm going to choose to follow Christ. There's gonna be a change in my focus. I'm gonna get out of that rut. I'm gonna get out of that mindset and I'm gonna put my focus back on God and on his word, just like, like scripture teaches us to. And God promises if you'll come to him with a heart of repentance, he will forgive you and you'll, your, your relationship with God will be restored and made completely clean and new. Now, you may have relationships in your life that don't ever restore completely. You know, you make up, right? Thanksgiving dinner. I'm sorry for what I said online. I'm sorry about that comment on your post, mom, you know, <laughs> whatever it was that came up and you kind of make things right. But then guess what? You know, you're going to hear about it maybe next year, right? No, listen, with God, restored, complete, forgiven, free because he's Christ, because he is God. So would you do that? If you are in bondage to sin, would you return to position of freedom? And if you are, you say, man, I'm living in my freedom in Christ and I'm, I'm living in those parameters of the word of God and I'm trusting God and I'm being faithful in that area. Listen, God says then, if that's where you are at, then your call is to be a person of service and of serving others. Now, like I said, there's a little bit more of the message. We'll cover that next week. But for today, let's just really focus in on that thought. Am I serving Christ or am I serving to be noticed? I think if you could boil it down, you could probably get it down to that one thought. And if you'd be honest, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm always honest with you, just so you know. It's not like a surprise, I'm honest today. Last week, total liar, no. <laughs> I hate it, I, always, I say that all the time, you know? Like, actually, no, well, I was honest before. But honestly, I mean, there's, as a pastor, that's a struggle for me. Sometimes when I'm preaching a message, I'm thinking, how is this gonna be received? Are they gonna like it? Who's gonna, who might get mad? right, <laughs> over what is said. And the temptation then is to, okay, I'm not going to say that or I'm not going to preach how I should or what God has led me to do. And that's, that's me then. I'm just, I'm just worried about others rather than serving for Christ. It's a temptation for all of us, no matter where we are at. So really search your, search your heart and say, God, am I serving you or am I serving others? 